third lesson today is from the book of Jonah in the third chapter. The word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah set out and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly large city, a three days walk across. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's walk. And he cried out, Forty days more, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast, and everyone, great and small, put on sackcloth. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them. And he did not do it. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I like the way chapter 3 begins. And the word came to Jonah a second time and said, Get up and go to Nineveh. And Jonah went. Beginning Jonah's story there, it sounds as if the patient parent is saying to the child for just a second time, Would you please put on your jacket? And he did. And all was well. If only. A lot happened between God's first command and second. Jonah's story, as you'll recall, is a story of tumult. Tumult in the seas, tumult in the gut. God tells Jonah to prophesy to Nineveh, and Jonah goes in the opposite direction. Unlike Simon and Andrew, James and John, who went when Jesus called out to them, Jonah went away from God's call. He had his reasons. We all do. Rarely do we say, that's the best thing to do, God, I'm just not willing. Instead we say, I I don't think I heard that right. Or you couldn't mean me, God. Or I think I have a better plan. If you only knew the whole story. Jonah was more honest than we are sometimes. He owned his misgivings. He knew how God is gracious, merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, ready to relent from punishing. Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. Because Nineveh, that city full of Israel's enemies, might actually turn to God. And then God would actually forgive. People like enemies. Friendly rivals. It gives you something to joke about. Talk about. Until you stop talking. I heard a report that said in 2010, almost 50% of Republicans and 33% of Democrats responded that they would be displeased if their son or daughter married someone from the opposite party. Compare that with 1960, when it was 4 and 5% respectfully. In 50 years' time, We've had a a tenfold increase in what they now call political partyism. 
They say it's the last ism that it's okay to have. The concern, of course, is our growing division and the ways that we are prejudiced against those who might dare to have an opinion different than ours. Josh preached about that well last week. I won't go much further into that. But I, but I say all this to set the stage because if we'll let our fellow Americans become enemies over how we vote, we might be able to relate to Jonah better than we first thought. If we've grown ten times more opposed to our children marrying Americans from an opposite party, wonder how we might feel if they chose to marry a person from an enemy nation. All right, I know that's too personal. But to Jonah, it would have been as bad, maybe worse, for that evil city, that, that wicked Nineveh, that loathed capital of Assyria to receive forgiveness from God. So Jonah went the other way. He didn't miss the message. He didn't misunderstand God's call. He knew the word that he was to deliver from God and how forgiving God could be, and he wanted none of it. As United Methodists, we believe in free will. We believe that God gives us choices and that we can choose to go with God's desires or against God's desires, that there are times every day when we make those choices. We also believe that there are times when God intervenes, when God wants something so badly that God will make a way, an empty tomb. A resuscitated child, a strong storm, and a big fish. As Jonah tried to sail away from God, a storm brewed up. It must not have been an ordinary storm because those sailors went to praying to any God they could think of. They cast lots and found that Jonah was the cause of the storm, and so they determined something had to give. At Jonah's request, And with more than a little reluctance, they threw him overboard, and a fish scooped him up. And Jonah did what you would do if you spent three days in the belly of a fish. He prayed. He prayed hard. He prayed for his own deliverance, which he received as the big fish threw him up on the shores of Nineveh. And that, dear parents... It's how you get your child to put the jacket on with a second request. A big storm, a big fish, some vomit. And the Lord said to Jonah a second time, Get up and go to Nineveh. And he went. Jonah went at God's second request and he preached. He walked into the enemy's town and offered the shortest sermon you could hope to hear 40 days more. And Nineveh will be overthrown. Maybe my father-in-law is right. Maybe brevity is the key. It worked. Those people changed. The king ordered everyone, great and small, even the animals to fast and put on sackcloth and repent. He decreed all shall turn from their evil ways and from the violence that is in their hands because 
goes. God may relent and change his mind. He may turn from his fierce anger so that we do not perish. And guess what? When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil ways, God changed his mind about the calamity that he had said he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. And Jonah said, Yay! I got to be part of the conversion of my enemies. They have come to God, and God has forgiven them, and they will not be punished all as well. I think I'll walk home. Not exactly. The Ninevites changed their ways and God changed his mind and Jonah grew angrier. I knew, he said with all the scorn you could say, that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and ready to relent from punishing. I knew what kind of God you are. I think one of the reasons we like to have our enemies, and I'm not talking about football rivalries here, but you know, the people where we can say, at least I'm better than him or them, is because there's something within us that can't help comparing. As long as I'm doing better than he is, well then maybe God won't be as displeased with me. Maybe God will love me a little more because he's a little worse. That's the logic the Pharisee used when he stood proudly in the temple praying, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people. Thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The Pharisee could only see his faithfulness in relation to the other's sinfulness. As long as his pious acts compared favorably, he figured he was in better standing with God. He was at least better than the sinner, so God must love him more than the sinner. The problem with that kind of theology is that it points to a God with finite amounts of grace. That there's only so much mercy to be offered. Only so much love to be shown. I'm in competition with you to see who God will give that great mercy to because He can't give enough to you and to me at the same time. One of us has to win. When people ask me how Jesus looks on sins, I'm quick to point out that it's people like me who received the hardest time from Jesus. People with their long robes, who prayed their long prayers, who seemed to have their religious life all neat and tidy. But it was the troubled, messy, confused, and longing people that Jesus was always merciful to. People like those in Nineveh. The last ones you'd think God would ever forgive. Unless you knew God was a forgiving 
God. So everyone there, great and small, king and paupers, cows and goats, even God, everyone changed because the word Jonah offered. Everyone, that is, except Jonah. Jonah couldn't let go of his anger or his frustration toward God. He went out of the city and sulked, waiting to see what would happen to Nineveh. A bush grew overnight, giving him at least some pleasing shade the next day. But the following night, God caused it to shrivel up so that Jonah, on the next day, was even angrier. He thought there was no reason left to live. And God saw in that an object lesson. And that's how the story ends. Jonah, mad that his enemies were forgiven and that his shade was gone, raises his fist to God who raises his voice to Jonah. You are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and it perished in a night. And should I, God asked, not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals. That's it. That's how the story ends. With a question. What do you think? Should God be concerned for those He worked to create, grew, nourished, nurtured, whoever they are, wherever they are, Whatever they are, or some just too far gone for God. Could it be that this forgiving, slow to anger, abounding in mercy, loving God wants everyone, great and small, pious and impious, friend and enemy to come to him. And if so, could it be that we're called to go and invite? Maybe even on the first command.